Let's read this passage of scripture together. We continue to worship today. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Let's read together. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for this opportunity today to respond to your great revelation, Jesus. You came to make yourself known to us so that we might find you and by following after you find life and life eternal. Would you help us together today to see you, Jesus, high and lifted up and would you draw us to yourself? It's in your matchless name that we pray together and all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Great to see you today. New City, for those of you who are watching online, grateful to have you with us as well. This passage that we just read together known as the Great Commission or the Last Command, the final words of Jesus are our focus this month as we continue our teaching series, Find and Follow. And the way that we really summarize the Great Commission, uh, the way we kind of encapsulate the words you just read from Jesus are in these six simple words, helping people find and follow Jesus. Uh, That's the New City way of summarizing the Great Commission, the last words, the final command and mission that Jesus gave to his disciples. And I was thinking about that this week in my own story and people who invested in me and took the Great Commission seriously, people who invested in my family. Maybe you would think about people in your own life who took seriously the command to help people find and follow Jesus. And you're sitting here today uh, because they took this seriously, because they followed the words of Jesus. Uh, Some of you know that I grew up not far from here, right on the uh, Mecklenburg County, Union County line in Matthews. Although it's built out today, nobody would come to our house because we lived um, way out. Uh, The intersection of Providence Road and Ballantyne Commons was a flashing light. That gives you perspective. And my parents were not believers, although they would tell you that they were Christians. Um, Not too different from today, culturally, of folks who would say, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Hmm. Well, I'm a good person. And we go to church sometimes, and I even put a little bit in the offering plate here and there, and I'll go do some things, you know, try to do some good things and and live in a good way. And what's interesting for my parents, um, we went to church a few times a year. And I remember the pastor coming to our house when I was a young kid and sitting at our kitchen table and my parents asking him, what does it mean to be a Christian? And no kidding. The pastor took out um, a pen and there was a napkin and he drew a circle and he started putting little spokes on the hub of that circle. And he said, well, being a Christian is um, coming to church. That's one spoke. And it's, it's giving uh, and it's serving and it's being a good person, and it's, he just drew all these books, and all that together means being a Christian. That's what my parents believed, and that's what we believed. And then there was a couple, God bless them, 
um, that lived up our, our street that invited my mom to a neighborhood tea. She thought it was a neighborhood tea. It was, but it was more than that. She got to know some of the people there and she kept going and, and then they invited her to come and study the book of Romans with them. And it was in that living room, in that circle, that my mom first understood the message of grace. That it's not a bunch of spokes on a wheel and things that I do, but it's what's been done for me. That Jesus came and did for me what I could not do for myself. And that it's by grace through my simple trust and faith in him that I can experience life and life eternal. And my mom believed that. And guess what happened? All of us began to believe that and understand that message through the message of grace through my mom. And we started to go to a local church here. It was Calvary Church. It was where a Central Church of God is now. Some of you remember that. And there was a man by the name of Ross Rhodes who was preaching there. And Ross is in heaven now, but we got to connect later on in my life. And uh, he came and preached a few times at our Matthews location. And I was able to bless him and thank him for his preaching. I remember one day getting in our old beige station wagon after church and my mom, uh, looking back at us, I was, I was the third. I have a twin sister and an older sister, so I was always in the way back of the station wagon, if you remember that. No seat belts. I don't know how we made it, but we made it somehow. And um, I remember my mom saying, do you, do you want to tell it to my dad? Do you want to tell them what happened today? And he said, yeah, I, I, uh, I accepted Jesus today. And I remember having that conversation in the car on the, on the way home and and, and talking about what it means to, to find Jesus and follow Jesus and seeing a difference in my, in my father and my mother and then myself and my two sisters, my twin sister, my older sister, all came, to know, all came to know the Lord. And it was because a couple, Jerry and Charlotte Martin, who lived up the street from us, thought about people that were close to them but far from God. Who are people that are close to us, literally in proximity up the street but are far from God? And how could we take a step towards them in fulfilling the words that we, that we just read together to help them find and, and follow Jesus? God's asked each of us to think about that question. Who are people that are close to me but are far from God? Uh, we have three kids ourselves. They're, they're getting older. They're 17, 15, and 13 now. But when they were young, we used to play hide and seek. And some of you are in the hide and seek days. And I remember when they were really young, I would, I would put myself in really overt places for them to find me quickly. And they would run up and grab me and, Daddy, we found you, we found you. Well, the truth is that I was sitting right in the middle of the floor. I was very obvious to them, right? And I tell that story because this is the same with God. You know, God puts himself in places for us to find him every single day. He wants to be found by us. In fact, the scriptures tell us uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, if you want to turn there with me, the apostle Paul uh, is walking through the city of Athens. He's on his third missionary journey. And just really quickly in context, the city of Athens, just like Charlotte, was a very spiritual place. Remember, spirituality is the realm of purpose and meaning. And so many people, even in our culture today, they would say, well, I'm not a Christian or a Christ follower, but I'm very spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. And this was Athens. When Paul found himself there and he walked through the streets, he saw all kinds of different shrines and idols and, and things that had been set up by the people to worship. And the scripture tells us that uh, the people of Athens loved to talk about new teachings and, and understand purpose and meaning and value. They were very spiritual people. 
And so Paul goes and he stands, not in a church or a synagogue, he goes and stands in the Areopagus, which was right in the center of town where all the philosophers and religious people would gather to talk about these new teachings and spirituality. And he gathers there in what is known as Mars Hill and he begins to share these words, Acts chapter 17, verse 22 and following. So Paul standing before the council, he addressed them as follows, men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? A God that you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. It gets better. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. God doesn't need us. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. Verse 26, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, the same nations that he tells us to go and reach and disciple. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. Listen to this, final verse. His purpose, what was the meaning of all this? What was God's purpose? His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. Isn't that an incredible passage? Paul stands before a religious, spiritual group of people and he says, this God that you're worshiping, that you're trying to find meaning and purpose and value, I wanna introduce him to you, his name is Jesus. And by the way, he's not far from you. And he wants to be found by you. So many people today are saying yes to spiritual things, to value and purpose and meaning and trying to understand. They're even taking a twist of Jesus and adding a pinch of Jesus to their spirituality. But they're saying no to the church, to God's people. Why is that? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons, but one of them is because people want to be in charge of their own course of action and spirituality And so in order to follow Jesus fully, I have to unfollow myself. And we've talked about this before, but when you add something to Jesus, you actually take away from Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but Jesus plus something equals nothing. And when I just take a little pinch of Jesus, the Jesus that I want, like Thomas Jefferson used to cut pieces of the Bible out till he just whittled it down to what he liked, When we just whittle Jesus down to a version of himself that we like, we're worshiping ourselves and not the one true God. And I wonder if some of that is what's happening today. And I wonder if the church is creating a space and a seat for people who are seeking God, who are trying to feel their way towards God and understand him. If the church has welcomed them and said, you're welcome to be here, you can sit, you can listen. Remember, the Apostle Paul said, don't make it difficult for the Gentiles to come to understand God. Don't put an obstacle in their way. What would that look like? Well, maybe it's what Brennan Manning said in the Ragamuffin Gospel, if you've read that wonderful book. 
The story goes that a public sinner was excommunicated and forbidden entry to the church. He took his woes to God and he said, they, they, they won't let me in because I'm a sinner. And God said, what are you complaining about? They won't let me in either. Remember the old hymn is just as I am, not just as I pretend to be. Are we a place where people far from God can come close to him, can encounter him, can experience him, can bring their doubts and their frustrations? So many people have been burned by the institutional church. So many people have rejected God because they've rejected his people. What would it look like for us to be a people that say, we're holding on to the truth of God, but we have open hands to welcome you to be in this place, to hear and to encounter God? You know, it's, it's very, um, I guess I'll use the word hip. It's very hip. Uh, it's very uh, current today to say, I'm, I'm searching for God. I'm trying to find God. I'm trying to find spirituality and meaning. You'll get a, you can get a podcast for that. You can get an interview probably uh, just talking about your spiritual journey and your search for God and meaning and purpose and value and spirituality. It's very different to say, I found God. I know who God is. I've encountered God. I'm beginning to understand that he has claims over my life and is telling me how I'm meant to live and find life and meaning and purpose. The interview usually stops there. When you say, I found God, his name is Jesus, and he has a way that he wants me to live my life. The truth is that finding God, coming close to God is just the beginning. There's always more when we encounter Jesus. That Jesus, the people that came to him, that found him, that made their way to him, his simple call to them was to follow him. And even the disciples themselves, if you think about all of their stories, you know, Andrew went and found Peter, Philip went and found Nathaniel. There's that language of, I found Jesus and now I wanna go find somebody else in my relational world and connect them to Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus. But the journey doesn't stop there. There's a simple call that Jesus gives to every single one of us. And if, if I've lost you, I want you to come back to me for this. If you're thinking about lunch or your list or whatever else, come back to me for this, okay? Please don't miss this. Because this is the purpose of every single Christ follower. Mark chapter one, verse 17, these three words, come follow me. I just want you to think about that invitation. And people who come to Jesus, they find Jesus, they encounter him, he wants to be found. They're, as Paul said, they're feeling their way, he's not far from them. And they find Jesus, they encounter Jesus. And then Jesus gives this simple invitation to every single one of us, come follow me. And here's the deal, guys. The call to follow Jesus is at the same time an invitation and a call to unfollow ourselves. Jesus said this way, you cannot serve two masters. Remember Jesus said, come and follow me, take up your cross, follow me, deny your own way. In other words, unfollow yourself, being led by your feelings and your emotions and whatever else and come and follow me. I just wanna be very transparent with you as I meditate on this passage and studied it this week, these three simple words, come follow me. I thought about the invitation that's constantly in my heart to be anxious, to follow anxiety, maybe about the future, to follow the invitation to regret about the past, to follow the invitation that's constantly in my heart and mind, I hope I'm not alone, 
to, to feel and experience fear and to give into that in, in the present. The, the invitation that's, that's always around us to eat, to drink, to be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, just live for the moment. Just get as much out of this life as you can for yourself. Just live for pleasure and not for purpose or meaning that invitation that's always knocking on the door of our hearts. To follow Jesus means to reject all of these. It means to reject the invitation to live for the approval of other people. Anybody in here struggle with that? The constant desire to please. I want to just give you a moment to think about those three words, come follow me. To hear them from Jesus's mouth to your heart, come follow me. And what would that look like in your life today? An, an invitation in your marriage, an invitation in a relationship that's, that's struggling, an invitation in your parenting, in your workplace, an invitation to come and follow Jesus. What, what might that look like in your life? What difference might that make to say, I'm not gonna follow the invitation for approval, regret, fear, anxiety, pleasure, all the different invitations that knock on the door of our heart. I'm gonna follow the invitation of Jesus. Come and follow me. The disciples had names, they had stories, they had families long before they found Jesus. But you wanna know what they're known for today? It's the word I just said, as followers. They became known for their followership of Jesus. In fact, when rabbis would come through villages, Jewish rabbis, they would pick the best and the brightest of the young men to come in and follow after them. And in every way in their life, they would follow them. They would live with them. They would study from them. They would, they, they would model everything in their life um, after the rabbi. And what's interesting to think about is that all the disciples, none of them were picked. And here comes the rabbi who sees them and calls them, come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. That's the purpose of every Christian is to follow Jesus. And it is the lifelong pursuit of every single one of us who calls Jesus Lord and Savior, to follow him in every area and way of our lives. Those three simple words, I, if you're taking notes, I hope you'll just write that down. Come follow me. What would that look like in your life? Now here's the deal. Complexity is the enemy of growth. Complexity is the enemy of growth. And complexity is oftentimes the great enemy of spiritual growth. We make things so complex. And part of the reason why I just keep repeating those three words is Jesus gives a very simple invitation in a very complex world. And so I'm not diminishing any of your challenges and problems. I know they're complex. There's an inner web of all kinds of things happening in your life, but I want you to hear the simple invitation of Jesus in the midst of all that complex complexity, come and follow me. And what would that look like today to make one decision to believe one thing about Jesus that you haven't believed that would make a difference to help you follow him in your life. You know, the word discipleship, everyone heard of that word discipleship? The word discipleship means followership. It means following Jesus. And really, um, <laughs> the idea is that 
when we come to know Jesus and we follow after him, what we realize is that Jesus has been following after us and coming to find us all along. In fact, Paul writes about it this way in Ephesians chapter one. He says, before the foundations of the world, think about this, before God created the world, the foundations of the world, he had you in mind. And he wanted you to sit at his table and be a part of his forever family. It was God's idea all along. So here's the thing. This idea of following after Jesus begins long before you even find Jesus. The process, if you will, of discipleship begins long before you even have an idea about Jesus. Long before Jerry and Charlotte Martin invited my mom to come into their living room and study the book of Romans, God had an idea about us. Isn't that amazing? That God thought about you before the foundations of the world. And what pains me, I'm just gonna be honest with you as a pastor at times, is that this idea of discipleship, um, because of different ways the church has treated this uh, in recent time, has been in competition with finding people and, and, and the idea of evangelizing people. In other words, going out and telling people about Jesus. And I'll, I'll be more specific. Uh, back in the 90s, some of you may know, and if you were in the church, there was something known as the seeker church model. Have you heard of that? And the idea was that the purpose and the focus of the church was solely on helping people find Jesus. And so everything around the church was, was geared and centered around this idea of find, helping people who are seeking God to find God in the church, a wonderful thing. But it was to the detriment of growing people up and discipling people and helping people follow hard after Jesus in every area of their life. And so that kind of fizzled up, out and the, sort of the, I think the reaction to it, the boomerang to it was we're going to be all about helping people follow Jesus. And that's what it is. And the, and the reality is this, I want you to hear this plainly. A, a New Testament church should have both a, a zest and a zeal for find, finding people who are far from God and bringing them close to God, helping them find Jesus for evangelizing and a red hot passion for people who are close to us but far from God and a red hot zeal and passion to grow people up in the Lord. It does not have to be one or the other. And I really believe this, that if the enemy can't keep us from knowing the Great Commission, he'll confuse us. And it'll make us think we have to choose between helping people find Jesus or helping people follow Jesus. But when we read the scriptures, they're both right there. It's both. The truth is that discipleship is both helping people find Jesus and helping people follow Jesus. And that's true for us and it's true for other people. Dallas Willard said there's not a problem in the world and I would add the church that discipleship is not the answer for. That finding Jesus in my life and following passionately after him is not the answer for. So how do we, how do, we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus tells us in the last part of our passage today, if you turn to Matthew chapter 18 and look at the second half of verse 19, Jesus begins by talking about his authority. Last week we talked about, he says, you know, the Christian faith and disciples should go to to people, to all the nations, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, to all the earth and make disciples. And how do they do that? Well, he says, the first thing is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the name of the Trinity. Now, this is interesting because baptism is a public identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so what Jesus was saying was not just going, the act of baptism, the physical act of baptism, which was a part of it, 
but it was more than that. It was immersing people into the life of God. And so you'll notice the Trinity in verse 19. The word Trinity never appears in the New Testament, but we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all throughout the New Testament, and this is one of them. We see it at the baptism of Jesus. Now we see it as Jesus teaches to go and to baptize people. And unfortunately, uh, for some, people have made this out to be just the physical act of baptism, which that's a wonderful thing. In fact, next week, we're gonna have about 15 baptisms here. So come ready to cheer for people. It's a wonderful thing. But baptism was more than that for Jesus. Remember, baptism preceded even Jesus. Baptism was was something that was happening long before Jesus came. In fact, John the Baptist is in the River Jordan baptizing people. Why? Because it was this religious rite or ritual where people would cleanse themselves and begin to identify with God and God's people. And so Jesus takes that, something that was already in place, and gives new meaning to it. And when people went under the water, Jesus uh, instructed that it would be like their own death, dying to self. And when they came up out of the water, it would be like their own resurrection and being born again into new life. And so Jesus takes that and he says, go and do that for other people and immerse them in the life of God in the the Trinity. And so it wasn't just a physical act of baptism that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about uh, going and finding people and helping them to see that true life is found in union with God. So let me say it a different way. Two, two questions that our culture is asking that, that baptism answers. The first question is, who am I? And the second question is, where do I belong? Maybe you're asking that today. Who am I really? And where do I belong? And Jesus says, as you go and you baptize people, you're showing them that they, they're a child of God. That's who they are. Remember when Jesus comes up out of the water and the father from heaven says, this is my beloved son, And the same thing happens for us. We come up out of the water and God says, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. That is who I am. I am a child of God. And guys, I think you would agree with me that so many of us and so many people around us in life are struggling with identity. Who am I? Who am I really? And baptism fully answers the question, who I am, you're a child of God, but it gets even better because it answers the second question, where do I belong? I belong in the family of God. There's a place at God's forever dinner table for me. There's a seat for me in the family of God. And so baptism fully answers the question, who am I and where do I belong? And so Jesus says the first way that you disciple people, that you help people to find and follow Jesus is you baptize them and you help them to understand that life, true life is only found in God in union life with him. And you show them that they have a seat at the table and they, that is where they belong so they don't have to go through life wondering, where do I belong? I never fit in. But it gets even better. Jesus says the way we disciple people is we, we baptize them in the name of the Trinity, but we also teach them, secondly, these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given to you. Now, why did Jesus say this? what, What we understand here is that as we're taught, the disciples were taught, we're supposed to go and do what with the things that we've been taught about God. We're supposed to go and teach other people. So what he's instructing disciples, all the things for the last three years that you've heard me say to you, the Sermon on the Mount, the wonderful words that you've heard me say, the sermons, the teachings, the miracles, you're meant to go and teach these new disciples everything that I've commanded you. 
so that they know that there's a way to live life. You know, so many people, you know, they're, they're posting things on social media. Maybe, you know, maybe you've fallen in this trap and you say, well, I'm telling people all the time around me about Jesus. Well, how, how are you telling them? Well, I'm posting it, you know, on my Instagram account and, you know, they're unfollowing me and they're not liking it. And there's a difference between telling people, I want you to pay attention to this, in the disciple-making process. There's a difference between telling people about Jesus and teaching people about Jesus. And, and there's a time and a place to tell people and proclaim Jesus. And that, under baptism, when we tell people who they are and where they belong, that's proclamation. We're telling people about Jesus and we're inviting them to be immersed into the life of God and the people of God. But then there comes a place where we're not telling, we're teaching. We're teaching people everything that God has taught us. We're teaching them to obey all the commands that Jesus has given in the scriptures. And I think you would agree there's a big difference between telling and teaching. And for some people who would say, I, I, I am a follower of Jesus. I, I know I'm a child of God. I know I belong in his forever family. The next thing that Jesus says in the disciple making process is to teach people the commands of Jesus, to teach them truth. And again, that answers the question that so many people in our culture and even in the church are asking, what is truth? It's the question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? And here's the second question. Is there purpose? Is there a mission and a purpose to my life? And I want you to pay attention to the second way that we disciple people in teaching them. It answers the question, is there truth? Yes, there is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, there is truth. And yes, there is purpose and meaning. Because by the way, one of the commands that Jesus gave to his disciples is what? The Great Commission. That you would go and make disciples of other people. So in other words, it's disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. That's the way that Jesus designed it. You know, Tim Keller says, our way of telling people about Jesus today is I'm right and you're wrong and I'd love to tell you more about it. <laughs> I'm right, you're wrong, I'd love to tell you more about it. And that doesn't work. I mean, is that working for you? It doesn't work, no. Uh, it, there is a time for telling people about Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, helping them to find Jesus, come close to Jesus. But then there's a time for teaching, for digging into God's word and teaching truth and helping people to understand what they're longing for. Is there truth? Is there something and someone I can build my life upon? And is there a purpose beyond myself? You know, when we're just concerned with ourselves, we're a club. If we're only concerned about other people outside of ourselves, we're a crusade. We're not meant to be either, we're meant to be the church that is equally valuing, valuing helping people find Jesus and follow hard after Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he's uh, at a dinner with Lazarus and, and, and Martha and Mary, and, and remember Martha is trying to, busy doing all the things in Luke chapter 10, and she's really concerned and stressed out and Jesus says to her in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, Martha, Martha, you're, you're concerned about many, many things. And I don't know about you. Yeah, here it is. You're concerned about many things. I, I'm concerned about many things. Do you have some concerns today? Am I the only one? Did you guys wake up at 4.30 with a storm? Are you tired this morning? 
Some of you bring in all kinds of anxieties and concerns today, concerned about many things. And I want you to hear this from Jesus's heart to yours. He says, there's only one thing that matters. At the end of the day, there's really only one thing that you should be concerned about that matters. And in the context of that story, what it was saying is, I'm here. And the only thing you need to be concerned about is giving your attention to me. Turning your focus and your eyes upon me. Finding Jesus in every area and situation of your life. Because the truth is, we find Jesus, and I do believe that there's a time where we come, we find Jesus, and we cross from death to life as we place our trust in him. But here's the truth. As someone who's been following Jesus for a long time, it's a constant search to find Jesus every day in every area of my life. And he's not far. He wants to be found. But I've got to have eyes to see him and a heart that desires to seek him and to see him. And then there's the invitation, those three words, to come and to follow him. And that's a point in time where I have to unfollow myself and all the other invitations and choose to follow Jesus in my life. What if, what if you made a great, you, not your neighbor, person left and right, person you're here with today, what if you made a great commitment to the Great Commission? These words of Jesus. What if you made a great commitment in your life to helping people find and follow Jesus, beginning with you, and then that spilled over into other people? And we introduced this word oikos in this series, this idea of your relational world. It's a Greek word in the New Testament that means household, that was extended beyond your bloodline to other people in your relational sphere of influence. What would it look like in your oikos, in your relational world, to help people find and follow Jesus? And by the way, you can't give away what you don't have yourself. What would it look like for that to begin with you and spill over to people in your relational world? What would it look like for us as a church to make a great commitment to the Great Commission, to helping people find and follow Jesus, to taking seriously Jesus' call to make disciples, to not only help people find Jesus, but passionately follow after him? What would that look like for us to find our identity and our mission together in the mission of Jesus? Um, Our team here knows that as I'm getting older, I'm repeating stories. And one of the stories that I love to repeat to them and remind our team is a story of uh, John F. Kennedy in 1961, where he went before a joint session of Congress in May of 1961, and and he declared before them, we're going to put a man on the moon. And put his money where where his mouth was, literally began to fund NASA and went down and visited a year later in 1962 to see the progress that was being made on this this project, this mission to put a man on the moon. And the story goes that as John F. Kennedy was was walking around NASA that day in 1962, he would go up to people and he'd introduce himself and say, you know, I'm Jack Kennedy. Um, What is it that you do here? And so, you know, engineers would say, oh, I'm an engineer. I'm working on this part of the mission. I'm working on, on this aspect. I'm, a, I'm an intern here. You know, I'm in administration. Uh, I, I do this, I do that. And he, you know, person after person after person, uh, I'm Jack Kennedy. What is it that you do here? And then finally, he found someone who was in the hallway sweeping up and he went up to the man and said, I'm, I'm Jack Kennedy, which course you're, you're the president we we know but I, I'm Jack Kennedy and what is it that you do here and the answer was different the man uh, turned to the president and said I'm putting a man on the moon 
And I love that. I love that story. I get emotional every time. I love that story. If you find out it's not true, don't tell me. All right? I love that story. And what I love about that story, what I love about that story is someone who found their purpose in the shared mission. What if the church did that? What if the church said beyond my individual giftedness, my individual callings or preferences or groups or anything that I'm involved in and further beyond our church, beyond my profession, whether I'm an engineer, I'm in education, I'm in medicine, um, I'm an entrepreneurial, I'm in business, I'm in government, I'm in sports, I'm in media, I'm in art, beyond any of those things we said together, I'm someone who's helping people find and follow Jesus. That is my purpose. And I do that in a lot of different ways but our shared mission together is helping people find and follow Jesus. Could there be a greater mission on the planet than helping people to find Jesus and follow passionately after him? I say no, I say no. Helping people find and follow Jesus, the great commission that Jesus has given to each of us. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To you alone be the glory today, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you so much for being with us today at New City. There's a couple ways you can connect here, and we'd love for you to do so. Uh, the first is by going to Connection Point, straight out these doors in the courtyard, and we've got a great team there that would love to welcome you. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we have a gift for you. But we'd love for this to be your church home and show you the ways that you can get connected here in a group or on our team or in another way um, to find life and, and uh, your church family. So please stop by on your way out to Connection Point. Second way is through prayer. We've got a team here that prays every week for prayer requests. So there's a card in front of you right now in your seat backs. If you wanna take that and fill it out and put it in one of the green boxes on the way out, you're welcome to, or you can bring it to some of us up front or you can go online and fill out our prayer request as well. And like I said, um, a, a good number of people, I think about 150, 200 people are on that team that pray every week. Um, so we'd love to pray for your prayer request uh, today. And then lastly, uh, giving. Uh, for us, we believe giving is a response um, to God's revelation. It's an act of worship. Uh, so if you call New City your home, um, it's an act of worship and giving to the mission that God's given to us to help and find, find and follow uh, uh, Jesus. So if you, if you um, are not a part of our church family or home, I, I please don't feel obligated to give. This, this, we'd love for this time to be our gift uh, to you. Uh, lastly, next week is a really special day for us. Uh, it's Orange Day. And if you're not familiar with Orange Day, it's a celebration of our next-gen ministries. So I'll be preaching from Psalm chapter one, but we've got a lot of other special things happening that day. And I wanna invite you to wear orange. This will be easy for Florida fans, Tennessee fans, Clemson fans, uh, diff more difficult for some of us uh, from other teams, but uh, would love for you to wear orange. And uh, I'll explain it next week why that color means so much to us uh, and thinking about the partnership between uh, the family and the church. Uh, but really special day. We've got a lot of baptisms, as I mentioned, of kids and students. So please be here and be ready to cheer for them and encourage them as a church family. And then we'll also have lunch after church, uh, after the 11 o'clock service. So for those of you who are 930ers, um, you know, please feel free to come to 930 and come back around 1215 and we'll have lunch on the campus here provided. Um, love for you to meet some other people and connect and uh, learn a little bit more about our next gen ministries here as well. Uh, I'll be up front today, uh, Jen will too, along with some of our elders. If you'd like to, to meet us or speak with us, pray with us, um, we'd love to do that today. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a benediction as you go? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his peace, his presence, and his love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Love you, New City.